Whoa! Super Bowl time! Sam Sports Podcast, we're back. We're talking about the Super Bowl. It's Monday, it's February 1st, it's Super Bowl time. Super Bowl's coming up, and I don't know if anybody else has noticed it, but you realize there's a lot of hype going on. You see, the Pro Bowl was yesterday, and I ain't got no beef with the Pro Bowl. I understand that it is the game which recognizes the All-Stars, or I guess in NFL they call them Pro Bowlers, uh, for the year. It's clearly a throwaway game. The NFL's been doing whatever the hell they can to try to make that game more watchable, but let's just call it what it is. It is the, you know, the, 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 the guy that's keeping your seat warm for the Super Bowl, because all anybody's really waiting for now is the Super Bowl, the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers, and I'm just getting a little overdone with the hype. I really wanted to get in and talk about the Super Bowl, talk about what I think about the actual game, the game itself. I don't want to get caught up in the hype. I don't want to be dwelling on the hype, but I will indulge in the hype for just a second right now, just to kind of articulate what I'm talking about. So I don't know how strong everybody as a fan is, but let me tell you something. Now that the conference championship games have ended over a week ago, so there's two solid weeks of just pure buildup for the Super Bowl. There's no football being played. There's no actual things happening. Um, there's just buildup and hype. And so everyone just essentially starts getting themselves riled up about this game that really transcends football. The Super Bowl is not just football anymore. It's now a TV event. It's a commercial event. Don't you have all those friends who it's like, you know, oh, I just watch it for the commercials. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're clearly watching the game for the commercial. Now, on the other side, you've got people like me who are fanatically watching the Super Bowl because it is the championship game of the NFL. You're seeing two of the best teams in the league play each other, and you hope it amounts to a competitive game. Um, but they lead up to this and pretty much they, they don't have anything to say. My point is for two weeks, there's nothing to say because there's no football and it's essentially tons and tons and tons and more tons of just pure speculation as to what the hell's going to happen. Let me look at some of the headlines that I'm seeing on ESPN.com today to give you a sense of, of what the hell, you know, is being reported on when it comes to football. So, there's a lot of discussion about the Pro Bowl yesterday. I'm not too hung up on the Pro Bowl. They're talking Charles Woodson. It was his last game, so they said farewell. Uh, Russell Wilson threw three touchdowns. He was the MVP. Jameis Winston had a couple of touchdowns. It was fun. They were in Hawaii. Everybody had a good time. It was, you know, I watched a few quarters of it before I, you know, decided to go to my friend's house. They just had a new baby, so we saw the new baby. Um, but let's look at some of these headlines. So after the Pro Bowl headlines, you've got, okay, Here's one. Um, Ex-Rams coach Mike Martz says it's ridiculous that Terrell Owens is getting in the Hall of Fame before Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt. Why the hell is this news? Mike Martz has been out of football for a while. Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce and Terrell Owens have all been out of football for a while. This is like one of the top headlines on ESPN. You know why? They don't have anything else to talk about right now. Um, here we have... Uh, on some days, Demarius Thomas's mom wants the simplicity of prison life. Uh, okay, that's on ESPN. Um, from the magazine, the night Whitney Houston won Super Bowl 25, a story about when Whitney Houston sang the national anthem at the Super Bowl. Um, remarkable journey of Broncos Akib Tlaib, wild horse rider to big brother. Panthers Jerry Richardson, the big cat, has another shot at elusive Super Bowl title. Like, we're just talking about people. It's, it's like a gossip column all of a sudden. It's like, ah, oh, hey, so uh, 
let's let's make a you know a heartwarming story about Von Miller. Here we go. Zany life of Broncos Von Miller. Chickens, hats, tattoos, and sacks. Like what? What the, this is this is headline news. Cam Newton's text message put Michael Orr back in the spotlight. Like this is what we're talking about here. Very few of these articles actually seem to be you know real sort of breakdowns of the game or analysis of the of the people and what they're going to be playing. Um, Brandon McManus, anti-bullying advocate, embraces cause bigger than Super Bowl. Like, this is what I'm reading here, you know. Who are the top, you know, we're ranking all of the Super Bowl MVPs. There's also a ranking of all of the Super Bowls themselves. Um, there's, uh, there's, there's celebrations of certain players, uh, 50 greatest players in the Super Bowl. Like, it's a Super Bowl sort of like... Super Bowlgasm is what's happening right now. Um, I wanted to stop. So that's what I meant by the hype. There's just a ton of hype right now. Um, the only other thing that really is happening is, of all teams, the Eagles are signing contracts right now. They're about the only team that's jumped out and started signing contracts. And kudos to them because it really does get them ahead of the game. And something else to mention when signing a contract that benefits the Eagles in this situation is that they... In the NFL, when a contract is signed, many times an agent will say, well, so-and-so got that contract. I need to get a better contract. So now that you have the Eagles being the front runners signing these contracts right off the bat, they're the ones who are the trendsetters. They don't have to then be like, well, you know, Zach Ertz doesn't have to point to Travis Kelsey and say, well, so-and-so got that contract. I want something better. He's able to sign, they're able to sign the contract first, and then other teams look at them and say, oh, let's try to match what the Eagles did. Uh, anyway. I clearly love the Eagles. I talk about them all the time. Let's get back to the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl hype. I want to talk more about the actual Super Bowl itself, the breakdown of the game. I've had some loose discussion, but we're in Super Bowl week. I'm piling onto the hype. I want to have some Super Bowl discussion. Denver Broncos, Carolina Panthers. I, I just spent some time reading about some of the flaws of these teams, some of the weaknesses of these teams, and some of the things to look at for this game. Um, Carolina Panthers are, I think, favored. Uh, they should be favored. They're a hell of a football team. Uh, the thing to really remember that's coming out now is a big reason that the Denver Broncos were able to beat the New England Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Uh, specifically, kudos to Wade Phillips and his defense. He structured the Denver defense, which is one of the best defenses in the league. He structured the defense to attack Tom Brady and the Patriots with the understanding that the Patriots were not running the ball, and they didn't. Patriots had no running game. Tom Brady ended up throwing the ball about 56 times, and uh, the, the defense pretty much didn't give him any light of day. Now, when you're on third and 10, okay, when it's third down and 10, and you need to get the conversion, there's a pretty high probability that your quarterback is going to throw the ball, okay? There's a very low probability that you're going to run the ball because the chance of getting 10 yards on a run play is not very good. So in situations like that, your defense lines up so that it is prepared for a pass play and not for a run play. Does this make sense? Now, the Denver Broncos structured their defense against the Patriots all game with the understanding that they weren't going to run the ball. They pretty much said, okay, it's first and 10. You guys could run the ball right now, but we're going to bank on the fact that you're not running the ball, and we're going to put our defense in preparation for you to do a short Tom Brady quick pass. And you know what? The Patriots didn't run the ball. They decided to throw the ball with Tom Brady as the game plan was and as it went anyway. 
And you know what? The Broncos picked them apart. DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller rushed the passers hard. They were in the backfield with Brady quickly. And I believe, um, according to the articles, Tom Brady was hit more in that game than any quarterback has been hit in the past seven or eight years, which tells you how much the Broncos were in the backfield. And also, they weren't blitzing, man. They were rushing four guys the whole friggin' game. So that game plan was extremely effective against Tom Brady and a team that really was not running the ball at all. Now you've got to put them against the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers, who, not, who, who essentially are the exact opposite of Tom Brady and the Patriots, they run the ball like crazy. They've got running guys all over the place. Jonathan Stewart is one of the best running backs in the league. They use a lot of option plays with Cam Newton, and it all comes back to Cam Newton. Cam Newton's ability to run the ball. The threat of him running the ball, the option he has in his plays, the second and third options he has really allow him to change how the offense moves. So whereas you saw the Patriots become a little one-dimensional without their run game, you see the Panthers are almost three-dimensional in all senses from their offense with Cam Newton because they can run the ball so effectively and their offensive line really punishes down low, they'll have a lot of plays where they'll draw the guard over to open up new gaps in the, in the defensive line to create running lanes for Jonathan Stewart. If those running lanes don't um, open up, Cam Newton can hold the ball and can cut back and bootleg out and run off to the right. He can run through his own lanes. He can hold if the defender overcommits. He can do all of these things, and that's sort of what you have with Cam Newton and the Panthers' running game, which makes them extremely more dangerous to the Denver Broncos' defense that you didn't have with the Patriots. The Patriots not being able to run the ball. I mean, I believe Tom Brady was the leading rusher in the AFC Championship game. What's that saying about the game? So you put it back into a situation where the Panthers can run it, and then not only can they run it, they also have the strength of that strong running game to then open up passing lanes. Devin Funches, Ted Ginn, uh, Corey Brown, who also goes by Philly Brown. Uh, these guys might not be the flashiest wide receivers, but they've got speed. They've got speed. They can go down the seam routes and the vertical routes, and they can beat their defenders. They've got some, some ability to beat their guys. And Cam Newton's pocket protection and, and not just because it's a good offensive line, but also because the running game is so dangerous that you have to be honest. The defenders have to come up on the line of scrimmage and be honest against the run game of the Panthers because they know, well, at any time, Jonathan Stewart could rip off 12 yards. At any time, Cam Newton could bootleg and get me 15 yards. So we have to make sure our guys are close up on the line of scrimmage guarding Cam Newton and the runners – because if, if we don't, they're going to rip off run play after run play after run play. But when we commit, then it's going to try to open up more passing lanes for Cam Newton. And Cam Newton will take advantage of that. He will find Greg Olson on a, on a, sl on a slot route. He will find Philly Brown on a busted coverage. He will find those openings. And he's someone who also, is, I've read a great article, he's someone who stays in the pocket. Cam Newton doesn't move around in the pocket. Sometimes you'll see quarterbacks, um, when the pocket collapses, they will step up and walk out of the pocket and then throw it, or they'll bootleg right. Um, Russell Wilson is fantastic at that. He's great at moving out of the pocket and, and creating plays with his legs because 
a play is designed in a certain way, but all of a sudden, if the quarterback runs five or six yards to the right, it's a very different angle, it's a very different play, and you have to sort of uh, accommodate for that movement. Though Cam Newton is a good runner, he doesn't move an awful lot. Now, this can be a positive and a negative. It can be a negative because then you can force him into tougher throws and you also can contain him in the pocket. If you send enough defenders to rush the passer, that pocket protection for Cam Newton can be good, but it will it will stay there and it will keep him contained. Now, the negative to that is that Cam Newton will stay there and he won't move, but he'll take the hit. Like, he will throw the ball and get that He'll get that pass out there, and it's more likely that he's willing to take a hit and throw a touchdown pass than he is to scramble out of the pocket and maybe take the sack or miss the pass entirely. Um, Because of his insistence on sort of sitting in the pocket and, and just taking that hit, it makes him even harder to drag down because now not only do you need to collapse his pocket, which is going to be difficult, but you also need to get to him before he gets that pass off. And if at any time he could choose to tuck and run because he's Cam Newton and he's an animal. And Greg Olson is probably one of the you know best tight ends in the league, um, probably the best member of Cam Newton's receiving core. I mean, that's certainly a guy who's going to be able to do some, who uh, create some great blocking inside in the box and also to be able to get and do some crossing routes. And, and I mean, he'll even run down the field. And, uh, I'm, you know, one busted coverage and you might have a, a Seahawks, he gets behind the defenders and he goes for the touchdown. So these things are some of the things to be scared of when it comes to the Panthers' offense and their versatility. It's one of the reasons the Panthers are so dangerous is their ability to be so versatile from an offensive standpoint. Now, from the Broncos' defensive standpoint, which is, I think, going to be the marquee of this game, as much as we want to discuss Peyton Manning, I think much of the marquee of this game is going to be the Panthers' offense playing the Denver Broncos' defense. Denver Broncos are a much better defensive team than Arizona, and even Seattle, I would venture to say. I would say right now, the Broncos are better defense than the Seahawks and the Cardinals. are. And those are the, now, Seahawks and the Cardinals pretty much were steamrolled by the Panthers in the first two games. So we want to see the Panthers actually have a competitive playoff game this year, and I think this Super Bowl is going to be it. Because the Broncos' defense, uh, the, defend, the, the, the secondary defenders, the cornerbacks, who I believe are, um, uh, what's it, Bradley Roby, and uh, what the hell's the other guy's name? Oh, God, it's on the tip of my tongue. You, you guys know who I'm talking about. I'll, I'll mention him in a second. Uh, Bradley Roby. Where's the other guy? Bradley. Oh, Akib Talib. What am I talking about? Akib Talib, the, the, you know, the best cornerback on the team. Cornerback and uh, uh, Roby and Talib have got some moves. So you're going to also see them running very quickly with uh, these fast Ted Ginn, Devin Funches. Philly Brown receivers. Now, something else to mention with the Broncos defense is the Broncos defense um, is going to be nasty. You're going to see the Von Miller, DeMarcus Ware pass rush much more, but you're going to require them to be much more decisive and decision-making. They're going to need to be much smarter about the gaps that they stay on with the offensive line. So at the actual line of scrimmage, when there's gaps between the offensive line and the defensive line, certain guys have, you know, this is where a lot of the strategy comes in. Some of the football fans out there, whether you know it or not, it's a little bit of an unspoken uh, comment that some of the smartest football players in football tend to be offensive linemen. These 350-pound, five guys that everyone's like, oh, those big fat guys who can barely move around and don't run that much. 
these guys tend to be coaches in the foot, in the National Football League because of how much of a cerebral game happens at that at that line of scrimmage. You have to know when to hike the ball. You have to read the defensive coverages, and not just that. Run plays and pass plays are set up in certain manners so that sometimes the offensive line is backpedaling to contain the pocket and prepare the the quarterback for the pass and keep him safe. Sometimes they're pushing the defensive line back because they're trying to open up gaps for the running back to get through. As Lombardi used to say, you got a seal here and a seal here and then alley. So you get two offensive linemen. You block one guy here, you block another guy there, and you get an opening and your running back just runs right through. So that is going to be a big part of the Panthers game because their running game is a big part of their offense. And so it's going to be putting DeMarcus Ware, Von Miller, Bradley Marshall, a lot of these linebackers and defensive line, these amazing defenders that you've seen for the Broncos, they're going to have to be thinking a lot more. You know, if they don't read, if they don't rush the outside and close the end, you know, Cam Newton could squeak by them. If they overcommit on Jonathan Stewart, Cam Newton could decide to hold the ball and run it himself. If they decide to overcommit on Jonathan Stewart or Fozzie Whitaker or Mike Tolbert or whoever's running the ball, and then it turns out that the play is an end around to Corey Brown where he ends up running around the left-hand side and rips off, you know, 30, 40 yards with a run play, you know, you're going to get into those moments where the Broncos' defense is backpedaling. Uh, However, I do think that they are going to force Cam Newton into some tough passing plays. And I do think that the Broncos' defense is going to be much better at creating havoc for the Panthers' offense and probably getting turnovers. I kind of smell a few turnovers on the part of the Panthers' offense where the Broncos are going to come up with the ball. Uh, I'm kind of sensing that there there might be a, um, a a running back fumble, like a Jonathan Stewart or a Mike Tolbert fumble, um, and maybe maybe like a third down interception by Cam Newton. I could see him trying to squeeze a pass play into into Greg Olson that gets picked off. Um, those are the things that kind of stick out to me uh, with this game. Uh, now. I've been talking about this this Super Bowl because it's, it's great Super Bowl. It's big Super Bowl. I've been talking about it for about 15 minutes now. I've been ranting and raving. And some of the things – now, let's go to the other side of the football, which I haven't discussed at all because for me a little bit, it's a little it's, – it's kind of an interesting dynamic to the game, which I'm really curious how it's going to play out. The Denver Broncos offense versus the Carolina Panthers defense. Carolina Panthers defense has been fantastic all season, which is another reason why I'm I'm kind of leaning towards Carolina, is that for all the amazing things that Cam Newton does on his side of the ball, the defense has been um, playing outstanding. Now, they have not had the stats that the Denver Broncos have had this season, and they haven't had to carry their team like the Denver Broncos have had to do this season, but they are a very, very effective defense that I think scares the other t- the offenses and and you know I think even still I don't know how much credit we give them. Let's let's remember Luke Keekley. His ability his athleticism as a linebacker. His ability to move all over the field and cover so much ground that he covers. That's kind of that underrated piece of the well he's not listen. Luke Keekley is not underrated, but it's an element of the defense that we forget is like they've got all-stars. They've got pro bowl caliber defenders who make major influences on the game because of their ability. Then you've got the arrival of Josh Norman as the cornerback. You've got uh, the cornerback, the secondary, which has been 
uh, hit by injuries. See, now that's something that I think can be worrisome for them is because I believe uh, Benet, Ben Wickery, and Charles Tillman was their secondary. Both guys are out. Um, and I believe that they have Cortland Finnegan, who, listen, I think Cortland Finnegan's a hell of a, a football player and has played some good football in years past, but I'm a little skeptical sometimes at his ability because he got cut from the last couple of teams due to poor play. Uh, so this is still, um, uh, and I believe Robert McLean, who's a guy who was on the Panthers, who they got rid of and they, they brought him, they signed him off the, the street because they had so many injuries in the secondary. Now, I was looking for more flaws in the Panthers' defense, and I found an article from the one loss they've had this season. I believe it was week um, 15 or so. It was, it was towards the end of the season. They lost that game to the Atlanta Falcons. And there were a couple of things to remember for their, for their loss. Um, their third down defense, they had serious difficulty stopping the, the drive on third down. There was a few gigantic plays that the Falcons made in that game, which kept the drive alive and actually got them to move down the field. So third down efficiency can be a problem for the Carolina Panthers. And that's a moment where I can see Peyton Manning finding a big third down conversion to an Emmanuel Sanders or Demarius Thomas, or even probably one of his tight ends. You're, you know, you're going to, oh, hang on, sorry. Um, you're going to see, uh, you're going to see Owen Daniels, I think, continue to play as big a part in the game as he did in the AFC Championship game. I think Kubiak likes using his tight ends. I think Peyton Manning likes using his tight ends. And it's a very effective way to pass it to someone who's not going to be your number one or number two wide receiver. You know, there's going to be coverage on Sanders and Thomas throughout the game. So I think Peyton Manning finding those openings with an Owen Daniels or a Virgil Green or hopefully a Vernon Davis, who's, who's you know, was supposed to be a, a good tight end addition for the Broncos, and he hasn't really done much this season since he arrived in Denver. Um, but those guys are going to need to find holes in the Panthers' secondary. And now the, the Panthers' uh, defensive line, the, the Mario Addison, uh, Charles Johnson, Jared Allen, you know, I, hopefully Jared Allen comes back and plays, um, Kawan Short. These are guys that are really going to put a test to Peyton's offensive line because Peyton's offensive line has not played as well as the Panthers' offensive line this season. They certainly have been effective. Um, they can they can somewhat protect Peyton Manning. Uh, I think that they looked a little better than they normally look against the Patriots because the Patriots played some good defense. But I mean, I don't know if I really think of physicality and 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 pushing the line of scrimmage when I think of the Patriots' defense. Whereas I think of physicality and pushing the line of scrimmage when I think of the when I think of the Panthers' defense. I'm thinking Patriots, Patriots. <laughs> So the Panthers are very physical. This is going to be an extremely physical game, both on the offense and the defensive side of the ball. The Panthers are a physical team. They're going to hurt the Denver Broncos. They're going to hit these guys hard. I see injuries coming quickly and often in this Super Bowl. Um, Thomas Davis, the linebacker who goes side-by-side with uh, Luke Keekley, who has the three ACL tears, who now broke his arm in the NFC Championship game. He's going to play the Super Bowl with a broken forearm, goddammit, because the Super Bowl only comes around once in a lifetime, usually. Um, these are guys who I think are really going to create trouble for Peyton Manning. So um, the other thing to think about with this Broncos offense, because like I said, I've only spent so much time speaking about this Broncos offense, is 
Peyton Manning's ability to throw the ball. Um, I think the pass rush and the defensive line for the Panthers are going to force him to throw the ball quickly. And I think that you're going to see more of a run game. You're going to see C.J. Anderson, you're going to see Ronnie Hillman, and you're going to see the Broncos try to depend on them often with the run game so they can develop more of a run game and open up those passing lanes. This is going to be interesting to see because what truly will be the offensive game plan of the Broncos coming out against this Panthers is going to be, I hope, I'm curious, like, are they going to try to establish the run early? Are they going to try to throw the ball and open up the verticality of the system for Peyton early? I think if it if it fits their strengths, that they should try to run the ball first because the running backs that they have in their stables are young, fast, hard-hitting guys, and they're going to try to use their offensive line to open up holes. Now, what deters me is that I think early on they probably should try to run the ball first. However, I think the Panthers are going to get them into a third and long quickly. I think the Panthers, to start the game out, will not let the Broncos get their running game going. And I think it's going to force Peyton into situations where he's throwing. And I think that you will see three and outs from Peyton. You'll see a couple of punts early on in the beginning of the game because the Broncos are struggling to get something going on offense, and they're trying to find holes in a Panthers defense that has very few holes. Um, and the, and whereas the Panthers offense is kind of multidimensional because Cam Newton is so versatile, the Broncos offense kind of isn't multidimensional because Peyton can't really move around in the pocket. He can't really throw the ball as well. He's effective and efficient with throwing the ball, but you know, that's not his strong suit anymore. The strong suit of the Broncos' offense is the run game. And I don't know if they have a stronger run game as the Panthers. With Cam Newton and Jonathan Stewart and Tolbert, I mean, that's going to be a more effective, and that O-line, it's going to be a much more effective run game than the Broncos will have with, you know, Evan Mathis and, 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 and you know, the inability to keep Peyton safe in there. You know, it was only once or twice in that AFC Championship game that C.J. Anderson broke off a big run, and the uh, Broncos' O-line was actually able to find a hole that was big enough for him, and they only did it about once or twice. So granted, sometimes that's all you need, but it's still just, it brings doubt. And I think as much as the Broncos have played fantastic this year, their defense is the best in the league. Um, defense wins championships. It's certainly not going to be a gimme. Um, I think the difference maker will be, I think this is going to be a defensive show because uh, both of these teams are going to put on a show. I think you're going to see a lot of running game. Uh, I don't think the game will be particularly exciting from a pass play perspective. I don't know how many big pass plays we'll see in the game, maybe one or two. I think what will be exciting is you will see big run plays. Uh, I see Cam Newton running for 30 yards during the game. I see Jonathan Stewart ripping off a 40-yard run. I see C.J. Anderson ripping off a 40-yard run. Um, maybe you see a touchdown to Greg Olson. Maybe you see a long 40-yard, 50-yard reception to Emmanuel Sanders. But that's really all I see from an excitement, a fireworks standpoint. From, from a real nitty-gritty game standpoint, I see this Super Bowl being about defenses. I see it really being a chess match between the Broncos' defense and the Panthers' offense, and how Cam Newton is going to be able to find holes in this team. And the truth is, Cam Newton is playing at a completely different level right now. He is so good right now 
that I don't know if anybody can dethrone him. I mean, even if the Patriots were in the Super Bowl, it would probably be an easier matchup for the Panthers. I really, it's hard to see anyone slowing down Cam Newton and this Panthers team, and it's going to take a miracle. It's going to take like a a game-changing interception or a game-changing fumble or a colossal game-changing, you know, turnover like you saw last year in the Super Bowl. I mean, one of the biggest things about last year's Super Bowl was that was that turnover at the end of the game. And I think that um, the only way I can see a dagger going into the heart of Cam Newton and the Panthers is if there is some type of atrociously memorable turnover at the end of the game by Cam Newton himself or a touchback or something or you know, I kind of don't see this being a missed field goal type of game. That's not what I'm thinking this is going to be. Um, it's going to be a hell of a game. I'm certainly excited. I want to see Cam Newton finally on the Super Bowl big stage. I definitely want to see Peyton Manning. I love, I love Peyton Manning, man. I got a lot of respect for him. He's played fantastic football his entire career. He's an excellent football player. Um, but it's, you know, it's a little, it's, a, it's too little, too late. I think for Peyton. Um, he's got, you know, he's got great football in him, but he's just brushing up against one of the greatest teams out there. I mean, the same thing happened when he played the Seahawks two years ago. There was no way the Broncos were beating that Seahawks team. Now, I wish I'd known that when I picked the Broncos to win. I clearly had no idea what the hell I was talking about in that game. Hopefully, I have a little bit better insight this time around. Um, I think the Broncos team was better two years ago, and they still got shellacked by the the Seahawks defense. And I think that this time they're going to get shellacked by the the Panthers defense. The only thing that's a little, a little teensy sad to me is to think that the Panthers just steamrolled through every single team in the playoffs. I mean, that's remarkable to think that they kind of, they could have gotten that good that fast, but that's what we're looking at. Um, so finally, after ranting and raving a while, I've been on the mic for geez, 30 minutes, just talking about the Super Bowl. Well, it's a big game. It's a pretty damn big game. There's a lot to be said about it. Um, but I wanted to get back into the analysis, get a little bit away from the hype. I'm officially picking the Carolina Panthers to win this game. I think the Panthers are going to take it. I, I think that uh, Peyton Manning will, will put on a good show. I don't think it'll be nearly as embarrassing for Peyton Manning as it was two years ago against the Seahawks when they lost 43-8. to That was just downright embarrassing. Um, uh, final score? I'm going to say, I, you know, I think I want to say 30-21. to I'm going to say 30 to 21 or 31 to 21. I would say I think the Panthers, you know, it's hard to, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's hard to say the Panthers are going to put 30 points on the Denver Broncos. It's hard to put that much, to put that many points on the Denver Broncos. Okay, you know what? Let's, let's say 27 20. There you go. 27 20 Panthers. That's, that's a much more reasonable thing. 27 points on the Broncos. That's, that's three touchdowns and a couple of field goals. That makes sense. I can see that happening. Um, and the Panthers defense only getting 20 points on the, but I could, you know, I could see that. So I want to say 27, 20 Carolina Panthers. That's my official pick. Um, little, little other thing I want to chat about today. Talked about the Super Bowl for a while. Let's talk a little bit about Megatron. Uh, Calvin Johnson, the super, 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 superstar stud, super duper stud, superstar, super, super, super duper stud of the Carolina, not Carolina. My God, I've been talking Carolina. Detroit Lions, Calvin Johnson, also known as Megatron. Adam Schefter comes out yesterday and he says that according to sources, Calvin Johnson has informed the Detroit Lions that this past season was his last season and he intends to retire. This is not official. It came out as breaking news on ESPN, but then 
you started to notice that they sort of pushed it deeper and deeper into the headlines. And NFL.com also pushed it deeper and deeper into the headlines. So I don't think they want to discount the news, but they're also sort of saying, eh, we don't know how completely real and official this is. So what we're hearing right now is that Megatron, Calvin Johnson, Detroit Lions wide receiver, who's really been arguably the best wide receiver in the league for the last, I don't know, eight, ten years, something like that. I think he was drafted in 2009. He holds the record for the most receiving yards in a season. Uh, in 2012, I believe he had 1,964 receiving yards. Um, career leader uh, or franchise leader for Detroit. Detroit Lions, greatest receiver in history. You know, one of the most amazing athletes from an athletic standpoint, Megatron has always been physically like probably more of a beaut- of an Adonis than than Terrell Owens, like a six pack and and just cut on every single part of his body. But the thing to really remember was the fact that he was big, strong, and fast. This re- he was one of the real. Fa- I don't want to say the first big fast receivers, but he was a big, tall, fast high-jumping receiver who was just physically more gifted than any other receiver in the league and still has been physically more gifted than most other receivers in the league. Now, we're seeing a next generation of these guys showing up, like Julio Jones, um, these super tall, super athletic receivers who can just go get the ball, that kind of reincarnation of Randy Moss, these big, physical specimens who can just go get the ball wherever it is and go grab it with one hand. Now, Odell Beckham Jr. isn't as tall and, you know, huge as some of these other guys, which, you know, reminds you that it's not always, you know, size that matters. It's not the size that counts. You know, Steve Smith has been one of the most prolific wide receivers in the game, and he was not a super huge tall guy. He never was. Um, But one of the beautiful things about Megatron uh, has been his physicality his size, his jumping, his athleticism. And it's going to be a real shame to see him go. I think it's sad because he didn't get more of a shot in the playoffs. He, you know, he had the misfortune of playing for the Detroit Lions. I don't want to knock Detroit Lions fans or the team. Listen, they've been playing some much better football over the last five, 10 years. I think Martha Firestone Ford cleaning house and getting that front office out of there was a wise decision on her part. You know, they've they've been known in the, in years past for sticking with front office management longer than they should and moving on has been a good decision however the Lions are a team which have been caught in a sort of revolving door of of misfortunate play and they've only had a couple of good years during Calvin Johnson's tenure and it doesn't look like next year is going to be a good year either you know it's gonna it might be another this season started off one in seven for the Detroit Lions and it's hard for a wide receiver to get up and continue playing as he's getting older now I think Calvin Johnson has a few more years left in the tank but the last couple of seasons he has played with injury he's played with uh, nagging ankle injuries he's played with uh, I, I think he had a shoulder injury. I'm not really sure. But I know he has been fighting through injuries the last couple of years. And he's a big guy who gets hit. And the truth is we are understanding more about football and the ramifications physically on uh, mental, uh, mentally and physically on the players and their bodies in the long term. And you're seeing some of these players really take that to heart and understand that it's a big decision they need to make. And they need to also be very calculated with how long they play. And... Though Megatron has a couple more years left, I think he's making a calculated decision to step away from the game now. 
He's made his money. He's made his advertising money. He is definitely going to the Hall of Fame. He is hands down first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, he holds these records. I mean, you can't, you can't, it's just sad because we're going to be seeing one of the greatest wide receivers to ever grace the football field leave the game. And it's another step back for the Detroit Lions. They're going to have to fill that hole at wide receiver. Golden Tate's been fantastic, but much of Golden Tate's uh, benefit on that Lions team has been the opportunity playing um, next to Calvin Johnson. You know, Golden Tate would thrive when Calvin Johnson was on the other side of the ball with him. However, you know, when Calvin Johnson didn't play, Golden Tate really stepped up. So that's a positive that they have. And from a cap standpoint, this really helps Detroit. They were definitely locked into a big contract with Megatron. And I think his cap hits over the next couple of seasons were certainly going to be ridiculously large and absurd. Actually, uh, I'm going to go to one of these websites. I'm going to plug this website. I'm, I'm not being, I don't know this website at all. I just think it's fantastic. It's called OverTheCap.com. If you go to OverTheCap.com, they have every single team in the NFL. They have their entire cap broken down by by uh, contract, money, everything. All of their players, all of them, you know, everything is broken down. So if you really want to look at it from a deep dive perspective and look at the salary caps, how much money everybody's making, um, OverTheCap.com is definitely a, a good good uh, example of this. So now as I'm looking at Calvin Johnson's contract, he has four more years on his contract. So, and these are all gigantic, gigantic um, cap hits. So he's actually locked up for a handful more years and a lot more money. So if he's retiring, as sad as that is, Detroit is going to, you know, appreciate it. They've got to give some dead money to Calvin. They have to keep paying him over the next X amount of years, but it will free up some cap space and allow them to do some things with their roster. So there is a silver lining from Detroit's perspective at the very least. Um, whew, I think that's all I need to talk about today. I definitely spoke about the Super Bowl for quite a lot, uh, quite some time. I told you my pick. I'm picking the Panthers. Right now, the line is the Panthers by five and a half points. Don't believe any of that shit, okay? That's all Las Vegas gambling. That's all gambling and, and daily fantasy sports. That's not gambling. Uh, but that all has to do with gambling. They're just trying to get more people to bet both sides of the football, okay? Block all of that out. Listen to what I, listen to me. Listen to what I said about the game and what's really going to happen, okay? Don't, um, don't believe, you know, Vegas and the odds makers. Screw those guys. You want to listen to me tell you that the Carolina Panthers are going to win the Super Bowl this year. I'm picking Cam Newton as the MVP. I told you, 27-20, and uh, I'm going to shed a single tear from Megatron. I will miss him when he goes. Oh, man, I wish we only had a couple more years with him. He's such a fantastic football player. Hey, hey, maybe we'll find out he changes his mind in six months and says, you know what, I want to go one more year. I mean, Steve Smith just did that. He had this terrible injury, and he was like, this is going to be my last season. But he's like, you know what, man, I got to go out on a higher note than that. I'm coming back next year, baby. Yeah. So that's football. That's the Super Bowl. I gave you my breakdown. Digest it. Take it in. You know, uh, let me know any feedback you have. I certainly always want to hear feedback. And here's the usual end of podcast spiel. Subscribe to me on iTunes. Subscribe to me on Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter at SmithFaceJones. Uh, email me at samsportsstation at gmail.com. I want your feedback. I want your thoughts. I want some suggestions. I will talk about them on the show. We will get them on here. We'll get more people on here. Let's talk more sports. Now that I'm done with this, I'm going to start talking basketball. Um, I'll be back soon. Get ready for the Super Bowl. Love you guys. Bye-bye.